0: You can listen to The Vile Files ad-free on Amazon Music.
1: We have some exciting news here at
2: The Vile Files. We are expanding our empire and adding a new show. That's right. This is going to be a live show. It is called Better Date Than Never. It is going to be your go-to place for all things dating. We'll discuss the pre everything from the pregame to the music you can get ready to, new hair and makeup trends, wardrobe ideas.
1: Uh, we can have a little phone a friend segment. We can have callers give advice. We'll obviously have Nick give his signature advice. We'll walk you through your date. If you have dates going on like the next weekend or if you want to recap some dates you just went on, let's talk about who you're dating, where you're going, what what is up. If you've ever wanted us in your back pocket for your dates, if you've ever wanted to pregame your dates with us. This is what it's for.
2: If you've ever been a part of someone who has a close friend's Instagram story where they spill the tea about the dates Ooh. they go on, that is going to be this. We are going to get updates from people, post date. We're going to help people hype them up, pre-date. This is going to be your go-to spot for all thing dating. We're there with you. We're rooting for you. It's
0: a community. We're creating yeah. a community around, you know, specifically, you know, dates or people are going on and trying to hear people's stories, but give people tips, things like that but but specifically around going on dates interacting on the specific dates all very dating less relationship more dating focused type of show and to listen to it all you have to do is download the app called Amp unfortunately you have to have an iPhone it is only currently available on the Apple App Store so it's a free download check it out and it will be every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern 6 p.m. Pacific It'll be a ton of fun. Join us. Uh, Audience members will be able to come in and share, be very interactive. Again, it's live, so you'll get to hear a lot of things and more. You'll get to hear a lot of things that you're not hearing on The Vile Files. It's an
2: unedited... It's a little more
0: loose. It's
2: like dating can be hellish. Let's make it fun together. Pour yourself a drink.
0: And it's all premiering on the 19th of this month, 19th of January. So we hope that you all join us. Uh, So check it out. It'll be a ton of fun. Something to do to wind down... Have a glass of wine with us, whatever it is you do. And you get to interact with us live. You know, it'll be we'll be right there. You know, it'll be fun. So we hope to see you all there. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Vile Files Going Deeper Edition. I'm Nick, joined by Allie and Amanda. Ladies, how are you doing?
1: What's up, Shoddies.
2: <laughs> what? <laughs> loose, I think, is the answer. <laughs> I think we're feeling loose. loose. <laughs> I feel like that there's like a sexual connotation to the word loose. Mm, Anyone I feel else? Like, I feel like if someone over the age of 55 says it, then maybe, oh, but when I say well, it, I'm like, blah, blah, blah. What's she's the in most intimidating
0: thing. thing about you? Ooh. Allie, like, what's your badass
3: alter ego? Uh,
1: I think the most intimidating thing about me is that I really am good on my own. I'm very independent and I don't give a shit a lot of the time. Or I, like, I'm willing
2: to just be like, hey, yo, I also c'est feel, moi? <laughs> I feel like you have like a military level of precision. In terms of like you are like I feel like you can be. I just imagine you like if you were a superhero, I could imagine you being this like knife thrower. Oh, like you know, that. like I feel like you're put together. You're on it, and you are like focused in. Thank you.
0: That would be like spreadsheets.
1: Okay,
2: well, we have that too. It's there needs precision
1: there. But literally, Nick, sh- ca- Nick, superhero quality Nick called me. me over. Uh, when was that? Over Christmas, and you were like, I'm hoping you're like data entry is going to help me out on this. It was some finance question. Oh, yeah. And I pulled up January of 2021 and I was like, okay, so on this date you paid me this amount I needed of money. to
0: recall something yeah. that I knew she you, would keep track of. Yeah.
1: yeah. I had it. It was right there. And I was like, yeah, because when Byron sent me my tax information after my first year, I noticed it was off and I had to have everyone resent their
2: tax forms. That's great. Attention to detail. Thank you.
0: So it's, it's, it's a great quality.
2: Anybody can... <laughs> Sure. <laughs> no, I don't actually have an answer. The most like intimidating, like
3: um, I don't know. I used you to be have an ex-
1: extensive vocabulary. You're very good at articulating things.
2: I think. um, <laughs> I
3: No, 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 <laughs> no. That's
1: nice.
2: I just like go, don't yes, know. Th- I don't. F- <laughs> I'm like, could I weaponize my vocabulary? I don't know. <laughs> I didn't. It doesn't. Yeah, I will pretentious people to death. <laughs>
1: No, I just feel like you have a nice way of, yeah, explaining things, articulating, relating to people. You're very good at, yeah. I think
2: sometimes um, clearly I'm not because I can't even finish a fucking sentence. Hey. We're
3: working on
2: it. No, it's all it's all flowing. Um, I think sometimes I can be nice to people in situations where, like, I think they're kind of shaken by it, and I think it kind of throws them off. Your niceness. Yeah. I think Sime's... <laughs> no, I just... Nice, nice,
0: like, <laughs> nice, nice. You're nice. cute.
2: You're nice. No, but Love like, yourself. Like, I feel like in settings where it's, like, supposed to be, like, kind of vaguely competitive, I and I don't... I'm not, like, I'm going to fuck with your head. I just think it's, like, if people are coming at things from a very adversarial place and then you, like, acknowledge... Like, on a human-to-human level are just, like, hey, like, we're both humans and, like, I... I'm going to be like I would like to be nice to you as another human I'm coming into contact with. I feel like it can really catch like catch off guard. Yeah, and it's like, where do you go from there? Do you like, think what do have... you do to me? <laughs>
0: do, do do people think you have an alternative motive? You think?
2: May I think sometimes maybe they're like suspicious, but I feel like it usually like comes comes out. I feel like the way I'm nice to people is by being like a little weird. Like I'm like <laughs> like I don't I don't know. Like I think I'm I'm very much like I am I'm a freak show. <laughs> <laughs> i <laughs> <And> like, <laughs> and I care about you, and you can be a freak show, too.
1: It's a very warm and open space. For example, on my couch last evening, I felt very okay sharing many things. Speaking of last night, you were watching. Why were we together? Why, you ask? First, we went to improv. Then, we got Chipotle. Third, we watched Prince Harry on <laughs> 60 Minutes. We did. You and... should do more
0: voices on this show.
1: Okay. You're, yeah. you're good at voices. Thank you. I'll just start delivering things in weird accents. I should have done the Bachelor bios. Each girl got a different
0: <laughs> missed I'm opportunity. All i saying I invite you Thank to you. do more.
1: Thank you. Thank you for opening that yeah. door. He believes
2: in you. Thank you
1: so
0: yeah. much. Anyway, you were saying.
1: We watched uh, Prince Harry on 60 Minutes. Uh, and we were a bit, <laughs> we were a bit jarred by first when they panned to um, Anderson Cooper went sitting and there's like the book behind him every time, like before a commercial break. Amanda would be like, jump
2: scare. Like, it was just a very (laughs) jarring editing situation. Which I think speaks to the fact that the interview itself, I think a lot of the good moments had already been leaked. Like, I think, like, when he talked about his mom, I think that was very emotional, very raw. There were some details that absolutely stomped on my heart. The fact that he, until the age of 23, I believe is what he said,
1: thought that she was potentially just in hiding from the British press and would, like, come and let them know at some point.
0: He's clearly experienced some trauma. And I my biggest takeaway was I just feel for the guy. Yeah. That being said, I just feel like he needs needs to stop. Stop. I didn't think he needed to stop. I think it's just, you know, I, like, it's like, I love my bald, ugly brother. It was like, you know. <laughs> Who I call Willie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I'm not talking shit. Like, but he's like, beat me up. And he, like, he, it's, I, you know, and then like the title of the book, The Spare, it's just, Listen, like, he just happens to be the second born in a weird, fucked up family.
1: They didn't let him on the plane to go see his dying grandmother. And by the time he got up there, she was gone. No, listen. Yeah. I was horrified. I wouldn't stop talking about that. I was like, Amanda, we got to commercial break and I was like, let's rehash. It's
0: a fucked up family. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of fucked up families out there and they are the royals. So they're royally fucked up, you know, like,
1: (laughs) yeah. Yeah, the bigger it, the stage, the bigger the problems. I,
0: you know, I just go back to like we were talking about it when we were breaking it down, the 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 documentary. It's just, it's, just, it's. I, well, I saw a tweet. What did I, I sent it to you guys.
1: So it says, uh, sometime in the years ahead, Harry may look back as I did and wish he could unspeak what he had said. Patty Davis, an author and the daughter of Ronald Reagan, writes in a guest essay. Not every truth has to be told to the entire world.
0: Yeah, and I think, He's going to look back and regret it and regret it. I don't know. He's made a shit ton of money. True. So there's that. And I do, I like, it's just, he's making so much money doing this all while really talking some shit. And it is still one side of the story. I mean, and, and maybe it's all true, you know, the whole, the plain story, but it's still one side of the story. And I don't think even, if even in his mind, if he's like, I'm telling you exactly what happened, he's just telling us exactly what happened from his point of view. And I, and I think there's always other point of views and it's just coming across as really shitting on your family. Most of his supporters, I feel like because there's a lot of people who have fallen out of touch with their family and 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 rightfully so. And and maybe. You know, I, I I've talked about this a lot. I talk about this in this episode with Justin. I, I of all the blessings and privileges I've been given in my life, the love of my parents and how they raised me is the thing I am most grateful for, followed closely by my height. Um, but yeah, and I know a lot of people don't have that type of of benefit. But all families, I th- I think, are messed up, and and even my family, we have turmoil and ups and downs. And I I just think when it comes to family, good or bad, you only have one. And it's of my belief. And it's just my humble opinion that, you know, I, I'm always going to try to have some contact in relationship with my family, no matter what, no matter whether I like them or dislike them and how. and And maybe I'm in a privileged point of view to say that because ultimately it's been net positive. But he's just really shitting on his family. His argument was like, they are talking shit. They're just doing it through the media. It's like, okay, maybe, I guess.
2: It felt like there was kind of POV constipation in the sense that he'd had all of these years of feeling like his point of view nobody yeah. cared, nobody would Ooh, listen to it. Point. He mm-hmm. was like really like kind of shackled in terms of like never being able to like explain how his reality validated. What is it? Don't complain, don't explain. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think right now he's finally like, okay, it finally went nuclear. So I, you know, I'm sharing my viewpoint. And I imagine there must be just like so much that needs to come rushing out of him that it's called
0: was, therapy. You know? But I
2: think so much of it probably has to do with, like...
0: <laughs> not, see, not not 16 minutes.
2: But I think there's just, like... I think there's just this self-preservation of being, like, you tried to, like, disgrace my wife on the public stage. And disgrace me. And, like, you tried... Like, you tried That's to bury me. Funny. And it's like, let's go, motherfuckers. You want to bury people? Like, I have some stuff to say. Like, get your totally. shovel. <laughs> your shovel.
0: <laughs> totally. I mean, yes. Exactly. But I you know, in terms of the most righteous approach, like, yeah, revenge, sure. Like, it, but it's it's falling into that care- category of more...
1: The best TikTok you know, I've seen is, um, you know, in Mean Girls, when Regina prints off the burn book pages and throws them, and they, like, made it Prince Harry, like, Oprah interview, yeah. <laughs> documentary, 60 Minutes, the book. Like, yeah. it was the most perfect example of it just keeps coming. But
0: you're right. I, that's how it's coming across to me, is this more... There's not, there's not some like altruistic reason he's doing this. It's just a tell all about his family and he wants his point of view across and he's angry and he's mad and he's dealt with some trauma and his mom died and, and, you know, he has a right to be very upset. I really feel for him. I feel for what has happened to him. I feel for what he's going through now and I, I feel for him in the future, you know, like I feel for Megan and Harry and the fact that like between both their parents, they only seem to have a relationship with her mom,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know? And that's sad. I'm sad for them for that reason. And Doria uh,
1: is putting in the legwork. You know? I know. It's Good a lot on not. Doria's shoulders.
0: But I do think they should stop, you know, from one humble person's point of view. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp Therapy. We love it. We advocate for it. We think it's great to do it. And we strongly believe on this show that w- investing and working on your mental health is just as important as your physical health.
2: Your well being matters in all capacities yeah, of life.
0: Yeah, and so we make a lot of investments like our education, our jobs, our, our, relationships, our, our relationships, our
1: bank accounts, our bank
0: accounts, uh, our our fitness, and and how we eat, but our emotional health. And so we do that through therapy, and you can. Get access to great therapy with BetterHelp, and you can do it from the convenience of your home, your car, wherever you are. You can do it right on your phone, your tablet, your computer. You can do it uh, without showing and revealing your face. You can just do it voice to voice. If you want to interact more and, and see your therapist, you can do that. Uh, it's affordable. It's flexible. It's entirely online. Uh, they, You go on, you go to betterhelp.com. You take a quick assessment. They uh, figure out what you want to talk about, and they find the perfect therapist for you they have thousands, literally thousands of therapists they're working with. They're, they get more and more therapists every day. And so much about therapy is about finding the right therapist that you can connect with. And BetterHelp makes that so convenient. So if you want to uh, live a more empowered life, therapy can help you get there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash V-I-A-L-L-F-I-L-E-S. Today to get 10% off your first month, that's BetterHelp, hel H-L P dot Files. Everyone loves a good story and it's even more meaningful when it's from your loved ones like your grandparents, your parents. Maybe it's that great uncle or maybe it's a sibling. But StoryWorth is helping families stay connected like never before. And especially if you're thinking of gifting a loved one and you just, maybe you think they have everything or, you know, maybe it's just like, I don't know.
1: There's always I'm, someone that's I'm, hard to buy I'm for. Tired. Yeah, yeah,
0: the, the hard to buy for family member. Think of StoryWorth. Every week, StoryWorth emails your loved ones, a thought-provoking question of your choice from a vast pool of possible questions. Each unique prompt asks questions you've never thought of, like what is your fondest childhood memory? Uh, What's the Mm -hmm. best advice you've ever received? And then they will answer all these questions, and then once it's all done over the the course of the year, they put in this wonderful keepsake that you can share with other people and your uh, family members that stands the test of time. Like I said, one of my favorite memories as a child has always been hearing my parents and my uncles and aunts talk about stories from their childhood it was always fun. And through Story with, we've been able to lock that in for years to come, for generations to come. And you, too, can do that with your family to get to know your loved ones better and preserve those special moments forever. With StoryWorth, right now, for a limited time, you can save $10 on your first purchase when you go to StoryWorth.com slash V-I-A-L-L. That's S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash V-I-A-L-L to save $10 on your first purchase. StoryWorth.com slash V-I-A-L-L.
2: I do wonder if it's him trying to just, like, be like, fuck this institution they they perpetuate so much harm. I've been I'm the one who has like the best vantage point to see them. And so I just want to like I want to dismantle it like I'm doing it. This is not necessarily because I think I agree where there's like some of this is like a therapy thing about like coming to terms on your own time and with your own emotions and reactions to that situation. I don't think that personal work needs to be done on such a world stage. But I wonder if he's doing it on the world stage to be like, no, you don't get to do this anymore. Like,
1: uh, uh-uh. uh, My question is, now that they've done the documentary, now that his book was coming out this month, it's kind of one of those things where if if you were going to say things, if you were going to tell, those are your opportunities. Are they going to come out with a sequel or are they done?
0: I don't know. And I guess it's he's doing this for him and his family, and that's fine, but that's it. He's not doing it for any other greater good. You can't convince me otherwise.
2: I think he's doing it and I'm not saying that this is necessarily for the greater good, but I would imagine my take on it is that his thesis is action, actions have consequences. And I think he's like you did some fucked up actions and like here are the consequences. I mean, we all
0: feel that when we're feeling wronged and we want revenge. Is he's doing this for revenge. And I, you know, and well, he, and for money.
2: You don't call it revenge when you when like you put altruistic. someone in but when you put someone in jail like a murderer in jail, that's not called revenge. That's called enacting justice. I'm not saying that this is enacting justice, but it is. You're, I think justice is,
0: for him because he is judge, jury, and executioner when it comes to like you know his, himself and how he thinks people should treat him. And, and he's based
2: on his family's roles. They can't even act as witnesses. I think he thinks he's judge, jury, and he's like the media is the executioner. Like,
0: but for, for him, how he's handling this, you know what I'm saying? He, we all do this. We all are judge, jury, and executioner for like who we decide we let into our lives and who we spend our time with and who we invest with and how we treat people who we think have wronged us or whatever it is. And he has the right to do that. All I'm saying is, and that's fine. He's doing it for himself. Great. I just, there's no, I don't think he gets like some sort of like good for Like he, I don't think he's carrying any mantle, you know, for anyone else but himself and his family and good for him. You know, I don't, They haven't announced, have they they donated any of this wealth that they have accumulated over the past year? Uh, I mean, they
1: have their various, I think, philanthropic pursuits. Sure. Also, something that I mentioned that I don't think people knew because you didn't know it uh, was when we were watching the 60 Minutes and there's footage of their wedding, Megan was allocated a budget for her dress. Her dress was very simple. The veil was, I think. Is that bad? What?
0: I don't know how that works. Is that normal? That's normal. That's normal.
1: Like Kate was given the same as well. Gotcha. They get to work with designers. They mm-hmm. have say in that. But Megan's dress was simple and it didn't take up the full budget. And from what everything I've read, she took the remaining chunk of her dress budget and donated it. Like it wasn't applied. Like, still
0: taxpayer money. So she donated taxpayers' money. I don't think you get a medal for that. I want her to donate her money.
1: I know. I'm just pointing it
2: but out because I, do I don't think, think that's people... like a like, but nobody knew that about her. And even like I don't
0: think that's a big deal.
1: Prince Harry, when they won a lawsuit, I believe this is what I'm, I believe this is all correct. There was a lawsuit to one of the press, press, one of the, one of the like newspaper company or someone who was publishing things in the UK when they still lived there. And I believe there was like photos of them taken while they were at their property or some very intrusive situation where photos were being shot through windows, unacceptable. I believe they sued them for a certain amount of money, and then all the headlines were, Harry and Meghan make all this money off of this lawsuit for these photos. Harry then turned around and donated all of that money. They didn't keep that, uh-huh. so it was more so for him making a statement like, "Do not come for my wife and you know our personal life by shooting through windows and doing things you're not That's legally great. allowed yeah. to do." Yeah. But he didn't keep that. Okay. That's good. When they were
0: so I don't, but I don't royals. think the not spending taxpayer money and then donating that.
1: Uh, I,
0: I don't know if that's much of it. But
1: where was it supposed I to go? Think she could have nasty. used it. And she yeah didn't.
0: the tax. I don't know. Like it's if it's taxpayer it money,
1: <laughs> well, they could spend it on whatever something else. You know what I'm saying? But like, they didn't spend it on something else.
0: But you're acting like I don't know how they allocate this money or this budget. But any any business you run, you have a budget for things. Hey hey, we got a budget for this. And if you go below budget, it's not like use it or lose it. You know, it's not like this money, dis- oh, you get to pocket it. It's just, no. I guess we, we can use it on other things. You know, maybe they could use it for some sort of like social work program or I don't know. Like She's charity? Act- but I'm, what I'm saying, she, it's not her money to give away. It was her okay. money to use. You know what I'm saying? It was her money to use on a dress. And I don't think, I, I, for me, other people can disagree. I don't know if you get a bun- bunch of brownie points for donating not your money and, and not spending as much as you could. I mean, it's nice. I mean, it's thrifty and I guess that's great, you know, but like, eh, I, I'm more of the 140, um, like 200 million or plus that they've been making, you know, and I have no problem get yours. But like, all I'm saying is they're doing this for themselves and they're not doing it for some sort of alter to greater good. It is a self-serving, uh, endeavor. And I have no, pro- like, you know, most of the things I do are self-serving, but I don't know if it's anything more than that. I think
2: maybe that's the idea. Just like on a broad scale as humans, like we try to rectify the things that we feel like have been most like oppressive to us. And so we kind of project like, oh, if this has been a really intense struggle for me, like I am fighting on behalf of everybody not having to go through this. And it's like very focused on a personalized thing. But yeah, I don't know. I do just think the part of the documentary where they talked about like social media and, like, the way that people believe that. Like, I think that's something, like, we talk about on the show yeah, all sure. the time about, like, reality TV. It's a
0: good reminder. Yeah, like, I think there were benef- It was a good reminder that don't believe everything you read or see. You know, I think a lot of people who, who have fallen out with their family or don't have, who have pushed back or set boundaries with their family, I bet the people watch, those people watching this felt seen and heard. I don't think Harry did it for those people.
2: This is a non sequitur, but between the three of us, Judge, jury, executioner. Who's what? Uh, (laughs) I have an answer. Okay. (laughs) I don't know, but I want other people's answers first. (laughs) No. Off of instinct, I feel like jury,
1: because you always bring up other opinions. Yeah, you're always fighting for
0: for the common man. And I would say
1: Nick's the executioner. I kind of have to be. That's what I think. I think you're the executioner. I would like to be, but Nick's the one with the name on the wall. I'll be the judge.
0: Yeah. Okay. I'm no so I just carry out your dirty
1: work.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Great.
0: Yeah.
4: You. I'm a jo- little like
2: henchman with
4: like. You an get the ax. job
2: done, Allie. <laughs> uh,
0: speaking of executioner, you guys watched the menu.
2: Oh my god. Okay. That did you was...
0: watch it? or Did you not watch? It? I'm getting the sense that you maybe didn't watch it.
1: I didn't, but I watched two seasons of The White Lotus, so mm-hmm. I can talk about that.
2: Hey, no, not done. nothing. You know, we um, the Menu is one of those movies Trying. that I felt like people told me I meant to see in theaters. Like my boyfriend's mom was like, it's really good. You have to see it. Didn't get the chance to it. And then you brought it up and I was like, okay, fine. I'll finally watch it. Went into it knowing nothing about it, which I think yeah. was the best I, way I to go nothing. in. Yeah. And oh my God. It, it had was, my
0: attention the whole way.
2: It was which, a captivating movie. That's the
0: thing. More than, ever, it it had my attention the whole way. And that is saying something mm-hmm. with movies nowadays. Yes. like, I wasn't, you know, a lot of times we put on movies or TV shows, you know, I'm on my phone or like I'm distracted or I won't finish. Like, I was all in. Locked in. Natalie tried to talk about something. Babe, shh, <laughs> do like
2: You know, I was,
0: I was very captivated by it. And the thing I was most captivated was how they like framed death. You know, and I don't know what the the goal of the movie was, or who how, when they wrote it. What I don't know if it was like a critique on the service industry or fine dining or or whatever. That that didn't really resonate all that much with me. But it was more about how they kind of trivialized death, because spoiler alert, by the way, people die in it. Um, but they they talked about the, the characters ultimately didn't really seem to push back on the the fact that they might die and it really made me th- and i was like wondering why and it really made me like it like what i think that's what bothered me while watching it, it not bothered me about the movie or like or the creative choices but like it it like bothered my soul and and like it made me th- it like i was thinking about it the next day because i was like you know like i think you know are we afraid to die? These people didn't act like they were afraid to die. It was just like something to do, you know? And they talked about death as it was like a creative choice. And they also talked about death as if it wasn't the end of something, that it was just like a thing. Did you like feel that when you were watching that?
2: That's really interesting. I not necessarily, like now that you're saying it, I'm thinking a lot more about it. I think the way I was sort of, Framed them not fighting back was kind of the idea that, like, these are people who are so wealthy and elite that they're just detached from a lot. And so there's kind of this, like, inability to, it, it like, the difference between, like, power versus, like, actual, like, functionality and capabilities. Like, do we... For example, the 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 man who was also, oh my God, disconcertingly an absolute doppelganger to this terrible man. This terrible, terrible man I hooked up with talk- in yeah, college. Nicholas, Nicholas Holt's character? Yes. Is he, the, is he the main guy who was like with Anna Taylor-Joy? Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, absolute doppelganger to, like, to a T in a terrifying way. And also similar in mannerisms, child. But I think it was like this whole idea of like, oh, he can be so into food. And then do we want to, I don't want to spoil it, but like, you know, the commentary of like what happens when he actually tries to cook. Like I kind of was more framing it through that lens of like these people who think because they have a certain level of like power and prestige that it will save them when it won't like how the critic, like the way she tries to negotiate. I was, I thought her character was like, I was like, I want to see her. I want to see the arc of this because she started out so pretentious and so poised.
0: Yeah. Are you guys afraid of dying?
1: Kind of.
2: Do you
0: think about dying?
2: I definitely had like a, when
1: I was in high school, I was very, I mean, I I grew up very religious, but I think in high school, like I definitely like was very religious more so on the personal level than I was like, oh, we're getting dragged to church. And I just remember thinking about like the thought of there being nothing after dying. I remember it like for days, it like consumed me.
2: Like it was, it was a very depressive thought. I don't know why my voice is getting so low. Hey, it's a- <laughs> depressive. I'm more worried about people I love dying than me dying. But it's just like done. And, and when I think about dying, I feel I feel bad for like abandoning people. Like I That's think it. a lot about. I mean, like, I, there's obviously situations where I feel like if I if I if I'm ever in a situation where I feel really unsafe and like it kind of like activates that thing. Like, yeah, it's like I I feel fear, but it's not a. I feel so I, I like think I have many intrusive thoughts about my parents and loved ones dying.
1: Oh, my God. When I was when this, when the man said that he was my Uber driver, but he wasn't my Uber driver. And I realized that once I was in the car and the car was locked and I was like, my body's ending up in a river tonight. Like I was so like, scary. We're done. I was like, this is it. We're done. Mm.
2: I will say that's how I realized that I cared about you was like when I first like. Probably 18 She's months into this dying. job, I started worrying about you dying. Oh and my I was God. like, huh, I care about Nick.
0: Why would you worry about me dying?
2: It's it's not rational. It's like it's like a fear of like, oh, these people who are like big parts of my life or who I need and nah, I gotta worry about
0: me dying. <laughs> Gosh. How I will, I, like fully... how did I die in this fantasy? No,
2: it's it's never like a it's never a <laughs> <this> fantasy, fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> nightmare. Um no, it's never like a specific like this is gonna happen. It's more like, oh no, like it's it's about loss more than it is mm-hmm. like death, if that makes sense. But I did think The Menu was, like, a crazy movie. The end was, like, unhinged. I thought from a writer's standpoint, I was like... The end was fine. I, yeah. It wasn't great. I was like, because I, I didn't feel like... And I, again, had my attention the whole time, think it's a great movie, would recommend it wholeheartedly to people. I don't think there was necessarily a payoff at the end, but I was also thinking, I was like, what the fuck would the payoff be? Yeah. It was so wackadoo. Like, how would they possibly pay off what they set up?
3: Yeah.
1: I love when you deliver certain words. It's never, like... There's never any rhyme or reason, but you have this little like like certain and it just hit it with wackadoo. But you've, it's happened before where you're like, sometimes I get a little loose. Like, it's just like you do this little like, ooh,
2: uh, <laughs> certain words.
0: Not to get into the whole philosophical. What's your gut tell you when you die? I'm going there...
2: to die on a train. No, no, no no, 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 no. we not asking how. Is there something or nothing? Do you nothing? ride trains frequently? I just, I yeah. Do you not
0: write enough of trains <laughs> for that to be the end?
2: I just, I always had when I was a kid. I had like really intense, reoccurring nightmares about me dry, dying in train stations, and I just, I really think I'm gonna so die on a train a station. Not even a train. Yeah, I would be on the tracks. It was horrifying, like a mouse in a maze, Probably but the happen. train tracks. But
0: anyway, back to my question. <laughs> uh, when you die, what's your gut tell you? Your gut, not what you want to believe. Is there something or nothing?
2: The thing that resonated most with me as a theory is gut, on a gut level, is you go back, like, I don't know how I existed before I was born, but I think you returned to whatever state that was.
0: That not really answer my question.
2: Yeah. Well, what do you mean? So nothing. So, so nothing. Yeah. Well, like, I think, you, yeah, I don't so, think like, there's something. So like, you'll sentience. have no- well, You
0: imply that there was something.
2: Or I, I guess the lack of feeling your con- and You feel sentience. like your
0: consciousness existed before you were born?
1: I don't know if it did. I'm do you believe
0: in you what like your gut tells you.
1: in other lives? Like when you're when people are like, oh, I was blank in another life.
0: I read the book Many Lives, Many Masters. I'm probably butchering it. It's a book about reincarnation. Really uh-huh. good book. It really it sold reincarnation very well.
2: But it, okay, do you think we're aware of reincarnation? Because I'm like, what are the odds? I'm on my first life and you guys are also on your first life. Like if reincarnation is a thing, it'd be pretty crazy that I hadn't come across someone who like my mom, how would they make sure people don't talk about it? I don't think it works that way.
0: Yeah, no. It's like a subconscious thing.
1: My mom had a theory where when you encounter people, like there was a girl I went to high school with who was, I mean, we were obviously teenagers at that point, but she was just wise beyond her years. And my mom was saying something along the lines of like, when you encounter people like that, it must mean like they've had.
0: Your mom believes in reincarnation? I
1: don't, it was a comment she made. I don't know. We can ask her. But less so of, oh, I was a bug, but maybe more so like, if you finish a life again very catholic thing but if you were to finish a life and you end up in purgatory which is the space between heaven and hell maybe so part Catholics of that maybe that purgatory process maybe part of that is going back and doing it again
0: to learn That's those lessons do you believe in something or nothing what's your gut not <laughs> i don't know the, the it's something catholic. i like
1: wrestle with
2: i don't know mm. Have I want to ask you the shit out of me. this question very quickly. There's this book called Elsewhere that I think in terms of if there is something, it was the premise of it is like you end up on a boat and then you go back to like the underworld, not in like a hell connotation way, but like the death and then you age backwards. And there are these things called the like, there's like viewing booths where you can see what's happening on Earth. And like some people become like addicted to them where they can't help. But but it's called Elsewhere. It's such a good book. And I think that was really interesting to me about this idea. So like she goes back and her grandmother, who died several years ago is the only one who's there because, like, the main character dies, like, in a really upsetting accident at 16. And so her grandmother's now, like, a much younger version of herself. And that I found, like, like the Benjamin Button, like, oh, like, the symmetry of, like, you age and then you age backwards. And then when you're a little baby, you get sent off in the ocean. I thought that was compelling. Ooh. Do you, th- something or nothing?
0: I think my gut's more leaning towards nothing. But, you know, I don't know. But, like, maybe there's some sort of energy. I believe in energy. I
1: feel like there has to be or else it's just I'm going to be too depressed.
0: I believe in energy and I don't know what that means but I do feel like an energy between people and things. Does that mean there's like an afterlife? I certainly want to believe. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: My dad had a good line where he was saying you know even if there's nothing like a lot of times I feel like especially people who are very religious like people who aren't are like why are you doing all these things and why do you do X, Y, and Z if there's nothing or if there's all this evidence that there isn't something or just like one big bang thing. And he said, why not? Like, e- exactly. He I'll was like, know. I'd rather live my life in this kind of, I guess, religious Christian way. If it means I'm being a good person and then I love that. Yeah. reach the end of my life and be like, well, God's, guess I was wrong. I,
0: it, it, when I was, you know, going to church every Sunday as a Catholic, that was always my mindset. So it's like, I'll never know if I'm wrong, but if I'm right. Yeah. It, <laughs> might as well hitch my bits. <laughs> if there is a God, I know I'm not him. And, uh, You know, I guess we'll see,
2: you know, if you're God.
0: No, I'm just saying like, I just know I'm not kind of thing. But I used to say, I I know there's a God. All I know is I know there's a God and I know I'm not him in a sense of like, you know, or her.
1: Time to
2: poll our audience.
1: <laughs> if you are on your seventh <laughs> life, please let me know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's like our CTAs, where it's like, "Are you reincarnated?" <laughs> <laughs> ask Nick about it. <laughs> Send it an email. And Honestly, ask Nick yes. At the if, you if
0: you think you're reincarnated, please, please,
3: please email love us. love to talk. We'd
0: love to talk. I will say, I think the book's called "Many Lives, Many Masters." It didn't make me believe in reincarnation, but it was like, oh, I
3: don't
0: know, I don't know. Oh, maybe. What? Okay. We have a great episode for you. Justin Baldoni joins us to talk about masculinity and how it intersects with relationships and dating. And we have our, a wild texting office hour call. Woo!
2: Oh, my God. zinger! Uh, a
0: lot of fun. So we'll be breaking down more Bachelor Bios and freestyle next week.
1: Mm-hmm. with Lisa Schwartz. That's right. friend of show.
0: Should be fun. And uh, send in those questions at nick at com
2: Or your reincarnation stories.
0: Or your reincarnation <laughs> stories.
2: Also, thank you for all the awesome like love letters, catharsis in the notes. Keep those coming. We're very excited to use them. Let's get to Justin. Justin, welcome.
5: Hey, how's oh, it going? It's going. It's going wonderfully. I was just noticing that this is not currently what Los Angeles looks like. It is not. No, it's
0: currently <laughs> rain season. It's been going on for a long time. I feel like this is the rainiest winter I've experienced in LA. I've been here for eight years. Yeah, it's. I'm loving
2: it. Yeah, me too.
0: Generally it's, I like it. I mean, I'm kind of ready for it to be done.
2: Mhm. It's the driving though is I, I feel like people get really overwhelmed. It's the
0: other people. Yeah. I'm I'm from Wisconsin, so like weather and driving has never yeah. been that much of an move, issue. Move out. <laughs> yeah.
2: You can just tell people I feel like people are screaming behind their wheel the way they're driving. Like they're like ah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> in the rain. <laughs> We need a dedicated lane of the highway the for time. people who know how to
1: drive in this. <laughs>
0: Can you imagine just driving past someone and they're just yelling in their car? <laughs> you know,
1: I did that the other day in like an intersection in North Hollywood because there was like six ways to go. And I tried to turn and it was a one way. And I fully like jaw dropped oh screaming. Mm. I was like, anyone who's watching me drive is watching a TV show. It's great. Well, that's a, my amazing. Idea. Here we are. <laughs> we need it though. We need,
5: we definitely need we, the rain. It's, it's the problem is that because we don't get a lot of rain we're not built for rain there's just there's just flooding and yeah, there's a lot of runoff because the, the ground's yeah. too dry exactly because yeah. it doesn't absorb it and you know i have a truck and i, I hydroplane twice on the way here oh, and i was showing, I'm, you know i'm like oh i guess i'm gonna go slower than 65.
0: well we're glad you, you made it here safely made it here safely happy to be here well we didn't have you to talk about the weather which was still fun, but uh, we wanted to talk about masculinity, uh, of which you talk a lot about. Obviously, you have your new book, "Boys Will Be Human," and "Man Enough" has been out. When did that come out?
5: That came out a, y- a year ago. A Year ago. A Year ago. Just I mean, uh, pumping year, out books. To, yeah, this was. Uh, no, yeah, we did. I did two, and I, I'm I'm done for a while. We have, for a, a while? we have we have a, a a picture book coming out at the end of next year, and that's it. Nice, but that's been done for a while. This ah. was really the "Boys Will Be Human" is really, the, it's been really near and dear to my heart. and um, Yeah, that came out a, a few months ago, actually.
0: Well, we talk a lot about relationships and dating on this show. Uh, we have a large woman audience, but we have our 10 our, percenters our out there. But as it relates to dating and love and relationships and people's you know, pursuit for finding a partner and working through relationships. I think masculinity obviously plays a big role, especially in today's climate and the discussions going around it. So I thought it'd be a lot of fun to bring you in and and Mm. talk with you about it because it's something you seem to be very passionate about. And I guess for starters, I'm really just curious, how did you get into this topic? You know, how did you Mm. become someone who really became passionate about this topic enough to want to write two books about it and really kind of you know kind of in a way you know turn it into a part of your career i suppose um and yeah so how did how did that how that light bulb go on for you and when did that happen
3: uh yeah
5: thank you for asking that um you know first of all i'm a man um and you know over the course of my life i i realized how unhappy how disconnected i was how um how i was kind of taught as a young boy to just live in this constricting box and that anything that i did outside of that box would be deemed unmanly unmasculine feminine if you will um the worst thing that i could ever be called i remember as a young boy was a girl and i didn't ever register that oh well, the worst thing that I could be as a young boy is a girl. Therefore, I must kind of almost hate the parts of me that look like girls, like the quote-unquote feminine parts of me. And then you grow up, and for those of us who are, who are straight, identify as straight, we're supposed to then be in relationship with girls while hating the parts of us that look like them. I found myself constantly trying on different uh, suits of armor, different masks, i was dating when i was younger saying things i didn't mean um bullying when i was bullied just always trying to uh compensate for something trying to like just raise my status in this patriarchal hierarchy if you will of like growing up as a boy and um and just always feeling deeply unsatisfied like there's never, I don't feel like there's ever a, a place for young boys or for men to just be okay with who we are. We always have to be something more. We have to be working more. We have to be doing more. We have to be lifting more. We have to look better. We have to do this, do this, do this to make more money uh, so that then we can be enough. Yeah. Nobody ever told me growing up that I was enough just as I was. So I, I started to kind of dissect that and wonder like, okay, in relationships, like, well, okay, why am I acting like this? Or when I'm around it, if I'm, if I meet a man, I'm like, puff up my chest a little bit. I'm like, why am I doing that? I go home. Have you ever been around somebody where you've just said something that you don't even believe? And then you're like, why did I say that? It's just sort of asking myself these questions. And it all led me back to masculinity and the lessons, the, the, the scripts, if you will, that I was given as a young boy that then follow me through adulthood and manhood. And, um, and I just see a lot of the problems that exist in the world uh, come from this source.
0: In terms of your source, you're know, talking about where this kind kind of came from and how it affected you. Where do you feel like you learned your model of masculinity as a young man? Was you know, for me, like I think of like my my upbringing, my parents. How how was it for you? Like, where did you? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think for those of
5: us with fathers, I definitely think we learned from our fathers. Yeah. Um, I, I write about it in both books. My dad was a really sensitive man, so I was really lucky. Like he, was a, he was an emotional man. He was very sensitive, very loving, very present. And then, of course, as a young boy, you also learn from TV and film and movies and, and uh, what girls then tell you they want, what society tells girls to want, what society tells men we have to be. And what was interesting is I found myself actually resenting my dad a lot growing up because he was so sensitive, and I wanted my dad to be like the other dads who were hunters and you know really? fishermen and you know worked on jobs and smoked cigarettes and cigars and drank with their buddies. And that wasn't my dad. My dad was a businessman who was actually very in touch with his feelings. He didn't know how to be vulnerable, but he was very emotional. And why? I didn't learn that why, up.
0: why do you feel like you resented that?
5: Because I was bullied for being sensitive. Gotcha. Right? So you grow up, you, you emulate the, the person that you think is the savior, the hero in your life, the father, and then you kind of, you try to be like that. And then you get real life feedback in your day-to-day life of whether or not that's working. And I, I had lived in this small town in Oregon where there, it was not, it was, you know, it was not okay to be a sensitive kid. It was not okay to cry. It was not okay to have your feelings hurt um, or to share that. It wasn't okay to have friends, more friends that were girls, unless you were trying to get with them. And so I was like, well, I was annoyed. I was annoyed at my dad for, for not teaching me how to fight, you know, like these other kids' dads, or not teaching me how to camp or how to, like, you know, start a fire. Because he, he didn't know. That wasn't, that wasn't his skill set. What I didn't realize was that he was actually teaching me the most important skill. A skill that many of those boys I grew up with probably still don't have to this day. And that many boys don't have. Uh, which is emotional intelligence and something that i think is really important for young boys to learn especially as they get into the dating world which brings us back to i think the show that you guys are doing
0: yeah i'm just yeah it's really because it was funny i was reading your book a lot and it was interesting because i actually honestly I, i found myself having a hard time in some situations relating to it all right let's talk about it i feel very fortunate for like my childhood yeah um and i've never considered myself to be an a typical kind of guy, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Like I've, other than playing sports as a yeah. young man, I was a jock, I suppose. But I always was. I liked to dance. I was into fashion, but it never really. How old are you? I'm 42. You're 42. Yeah. So I, You're I great I, good skin care. Thanks. Yeah. Regimen. Likewise. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I never really I and i I guess maybe it's because i was independent. I don't I don't know where it comes from, but I've always. I was always kind of comfortable with that stuff. With and what I, stuff? Well, the things, I, not, not worrying about my interests as it relates to not be like, I, I never hunted. I didn't fish. Yep. I wasn't an outdoorsman guy. And I grew up in Wisconsin. So yep. all my peers I have some good friends did. from Kenosha. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so that was not the norm. I mean, other than getting into high school and being, you know, it was... A, so you a, didn't
5: really care about anybody else's approval?
0: I... Well, t- I'm sure at some points I did, but masculinity was nothing I really worried about. I always kind of knew I wasn't an atypical kind of macho guy, you know, yeah. and that never really bothered me because I guess I was always confident in myself in other aspects, whether it was be sports or uh, other things. I, you know, I think I was I've been very lucky in terms of things uh i've been good at or Mm. the privileges i've had and things like that and i attribute a lot of that to the love of my parents and how they raised me i mean i remember the first time crying into my mom's arms Mm. over a girl i was in the sixth grade and there's probably been 15 or 20 more times in my life i've i've done that it's it's not something that i've really and i you know i have memories of my parents always telling me that was an okay feeling so Um uh, that's great though. yeah that no, was, I, that was I feel, great i feel very fortunate yeah. but so it, it was you know reading your book uh and having this conversation you know we talk a lot again a lot a lot about relationships and dating and we have you know men listen to this and it's just like how how do we get uh men how do we make that the norm and mm-hmm. and i found it very fascinating and i was talking to some you know friends and, and my my girlfriend and some of her friends about some of their experiences because you know just because i've had this experience doesn't mean it's the norm out there yeah. um what do you it, think i mean do you think it's do you think it's the norm i don't think i my experience is yeah. the norm no no do, 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 why do i think what is the norm
5: like the norm your experience like the how you ne- how you di- didn't feel like you had to perform if you will is kind of what i'm gathering from what no, you're saying. no i think
0: i've been very lucky in other Ash. Yeah. A- a- like for example like being tall You know, being tall, I think when I when I think about my privileges in my life, I think being tall and considered by, you know, average society standards as attractive is like has been super beneficial to me. And that has given me, I suppose, a level of confidence or maybe confidence I didn't even deserve to have at times or the love from my parents. So uh, when I felt like an outsider in other aspects of life, uh, I guess I was fortunate enough not to. Worry about that so much. Yeah.
5: You got uh, a lot of privileges. I mean, you're a good looking guy, sure. you're tall. There's a lot of things that are working in your benefit for sure. Yeah. And I think it's really important for those of us with those privileges to also go back and be like, oh man, wow. So, like, if I didn't have this, how would my confidence be affected? Or what would my life be like? Or um, how much have I relied on this type of thing? Because again, like, the, what I try to do internally is to strip away a lot of those things and say, like, okay. If I didn't have that if i if I woke up tomorrow and I couldn't use my legs, would I still feel like I was enough, and so often the answer in my life has been no, sure, um because for many men, that enoughness comes from external validation it doesn't come from within, like you were really blessed not only to have the privileges, but it seems like to have a family that actually actually reinstilled those values and you oh it yeah. reminded I mean, you that no you cry, it's okay, like you you know i tell my i tell my my little boy, like, the heart is his strongest muscle. Strongest muscle on his body is, is his heart. Because the world's going to tell him it's, it's that's it's not his the tongue? case. It's, <laughs> well, science might. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, the, the world's going to tell you it's, it's like everything else. It's all the visual things. But sure. at the end of the day, I think the most important thing for us men is to, is to start to rely on those, those other things.
0: Yeah, you talk a lot about being enough in your book. And, you know, we've talked to a lot of young men on this show and I, you know, go on the internet and I'll see things. And even when I'm like giving advice or I see other people give advice, especially when it's dating advice, like "oh, do X, Y, or Z to mm. get a date. And I see a lot of comments where it's just like, well, this only works for if you're good looking or rich, you mm. know, I'll, I'll see a lot of that. And I, and I, I feel like, yeah, there's a lot of men that are hurting right now. Yeah. yeah. And I, yeah, it, I feel like there's a lot of growing hurt with young men and a lot of disenfranchised men. And, uh, I, I want to, continue to figure out ways to try to connect with men who, who might not feel like, you know, if they're not six, two, or if they're not six foot, or they feel like they don't have the, you know, the looks that other, other people have, how can we give them the confidence? And I'm curious for you is how do you kind of reconcile between self love and being enough, which I, you know, I think is great. And, you know, being your best self Mm. versus like, Hey, you know, I love myself, but how do I invest in myself to make certain improvements or whatever that is, whatever your goals are? So how do you kind of reconcile those, between those two mindsets of just being enough?
2: Like acceptance and accountability? Yeah,
0: well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's an interesting question. I
5: don't think I've ever been asked that. I think that I talk in the first book in Man Enough about the why ladder, figuring out why we do things is important. Like there's this whole thing about self-love. I don't write about self-love. I write about enoughness. I think that most people struggle with with self-love. And I think there's also this very trendy idea that like we have to like really love ourselves and put ourselves first. And and I think that that's a little bit of a trap. I think we have to be mindful. When I When I talk about enoughness, it comes down to like understanding that who I am, as I am is enough. I don't have to become I don't have to be 6'3", I don't have to be 6'2", I don't have to be any more, any taller than I am, I don't have to be better looking than I am, I don't have to have bigger muscles than I am, I just have to know that my, like, who I am innately, intrinsically is enough, the way that I was created, the way God created me, I think spirituality plays a big part in that for me, that we were not accidents, that we are miracles, every single one of us. That the the statistical probabilities of us existing right now are very, very slim. It's a miracle that we're even here. And so we're here for a reason that every one of us has a God-given talent and ability to affect the world around them and make a difference. So that enoughness starts almost from a soul spiritual level. What I'm also hearing in the question is like, okay, well, then how do you balance like self-improvement maybe? Or is it like, um, yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, whatever because, it is. You know, I yeah, see because, a guy coming up to me who's just like, hey, I'm struggling with dating, whatever. And let's say I notice that, like, maybe he doesn't have, like, maybe he's kind of dressed a bit sloppy. He doesn't, maybe he hasn't, like, you know, taken care of himself sure. or you know, whatever it is. Maybe he is, uh you know, feeling a little down or he hasn't, like, yeah. you know, I ask him what he's been up to. He's like, oh, not much. haven't really done anything. You know, I kind of, I'm, maybe I'm asking questions about, like, what, what he's investing in or what are his passions and things like that. And he doesn't really have any answers. And... He feels kind of lost. Feels kind of lost. Yeah. You know, he's not really you know? And I'm it's like, what are you doing to place. invest in yourself? Yeah. And it's like, well, you know, nothing, you know, how do you kind of, what would you say to that young man who, who says, you know, Justin, that's great. But like, you're a great looking guy who's a yeah. successful actor, director, writer, and you're a tall guy. and You seem like you have some money and, but that's not me, man.
5: Yeah. First thing I'd say to him is that I know what it's like to, to feel directionless and to feel like I'm not enough, I know what it's like to be really insecure, and uh, it doesn't matter how many layers of privilege you put on if you don't feel like you're enough, then you're never going to feel like you're enough um, and so I'm grateful that I've been in so many places, even in success, where I know what it's like to feel like oh man i don't I don't feel good looking, I don't feel like I have any purpose. am I even doing the right thing? I know what that's like. I know what it's like to be depressed. I know what it's like to have anxiety. so the first thing I would do is to make sure that he knows that like this isn't me talking down or at him it's me talking with him and saying like hey i feel you but you can't change your life you can't um you can't start to build the future you want if you don't have an equilibrium a balance of feeling like you have a purpose in the first place and i think that that's where a lot of men today are really struggling is they don't just they don't see that they don't feel value they don't see that there is a place for them in this world yeah and i think that We can do all the talking we want, like theoretically about like, oh, what would you say to this person or this person? But it really comes down to each of us feeling like we have something to offer. And back to masculinity, so much of masculinity and what we're raised, what we're raised with as young boys is that our value is equal to our productivity. If we're not producing in one way or another, we don't have value as men. And a lot of men currently don't feel like they have value. So it's, it's a more complicated, I think, nuanced question than that. And it's a very, I think the whole conversation is very, is very nuanced, but I come down to like the reason I wrote the book, the reason I talk about these things, especially with like 11 to 18 year olds, it's, it's helping boys realize that first of all, they're not alone. And that starts with being vulnerable. That starts with vulnerability, right? Like I want to ask you, you know, you had this unique experience, but what were your biggest struggles? Like, what were the things that, that that kept you up at night that that make you insecure as this beautiful tall privileged man with a with a with a show
0: yeah i'm i don't know i mean i you know when i think about that i didn't i think fortunately i didn't struggle with a lot of personal insecurities right i mean like i feel like I, i i my i feel like my insecurities creeped up more in adulthood rather than childhood but it's like for example like I was bullied in middle school. For what? Uh, because I liked the same girl as uh, another guy, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I was bullied hard. I mean, just, like I, yeah. one day I showed up to school and half the guys in school called me gay. So, and How'd that make you feel? Oh, terrible. I mean, well, at the time I was, it was in seventh grade. So that was a very confusing experience for me. And I've talked about this before in the show, but like that was at a time in my life where I didn't really understand my sexuality. I don't even know if I had really Gone through puberty at that point, yeah. and I was bullied so much for it that I I was just like, maybe I am. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I remember having that thought. It's just like I. Maybe, Everyone's calling me gay. I guess maybe I I'm could gay. Be, yeah. You know, yeah. and then you know, obviously, as I went through puberty and I realized I was attracted to girls, but um, I look back, kind of, you know, grateful for that experience in a sense because I think that experience made me very comfortable with my sexuality. Because it I, re, it, I survived that, so to speak. Yeah. But I never, I don't have a thought of feeling insecure about it. You know, I, you know, like I remember had that bothering me. Yeah. But not, it didn't, it didn't devalue how I felt about myself. I suppose
5: that's a beautiful thing that in yeah. seventh grade, you could be that bullied, and not have your self worth affected.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, again, I was sad and. And I didn't want to go to school, but it just it didn't it didn't affect my self worth, which is kind of interesting. As I got into adulthood, or going on TV or reality TV, that 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 certainly played into insecurities and things Mm -hmm. like that. And why'd uh, you go on reality TV? Why? Yeah, adventure. You know, my friend signed me up. My friend's wife signed me up, and figured, well, your friend's wife signed you up. Yeah, and I this was
5: the this was the the bachelor. bachelor. Mm -hmm. And I. I'm your At worst the, guest ever because I have not seen an episode.
0: Uh, not required for this particular episode. <laughs> not required. <Yeah. laughs> not required um, but uh, I had the thought I had never been to Europe, which was an act of thought. I was like, well, I've never been to Europe and I know they travel a lot on this show, so that should be fun. And that's ultimately why I decided to go. It. So it wasn't to find love. No, but I was open to the experience. I mean, yeah. I think, I've said this before, but if anyone goes on a reality TV show for love, it's a little yeah, silly. But if once I went there, I was open mm-hmm. to what the, the reality of the show was. And you were one of the guys competing for the woman? I was at first. And then I was
5: the guy. And then you, then you were the guy. Yeah. So you, and that's, okay, got it. That's The Bachelor. That's The Bachelor. Mm-hmm. So you help. were The Bachelor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And did you find your love?
0: Uh, I he fell in now. love. He uh, uh, now. <laughs> I have a girlfriend now and uh, okay. I'm very much in love. But at oh, the time I, fa- I found love and I did. I found, uh, I mean, I, I found love multiple times on that show. And I've cried multiple. I've, I mean, if it, if I wasn't crying my mom's shoulders, the first season of The Bachelor, the showrunner at the time was uh, a woman who I guess was I'm still friends with to this day, and in some ways, I you know, like a mother figure. And this was off camera, and I'll never forget. Like after I got, I was the runner-up, mm. so I was down to the final two. And it was the day of the proposal, and you know, it's a very confusing because you have to propose, right? Yeah. Sure. Without um, getting into it and explaining it, but uh um, sure.
3: Yeah, and uh, typically, yeah.
0: I remember she she came and broke up with me, and then you know that was very confusing. So I just was kind of like a deer in headlights. But after off camera, uh, the producer came up to me, and I just she hugged me, and I just good beautiful fell apart and started bawling. So yeah, I've, I've and I think my and again I go back to thanking my my parents for. I didn't really struggle with, with my self worth until I started falling in love. Until I started do it, meeting yeah. meeting, you know, yeah, having feelings and and having relationships that didn't work out. And uh, and that's when I had my own, you know, struggles. But before that, I was yeah, it wasn't until I started falling in love that I at times lost my confidence.
5: Mm, at yeah. times. Yeah. How about I'm just curious. Do you guys feel that men, the men that you have dated, struggle in some way with confidence, but maybe don't um, don't show it, don't don't uh, allow that in? I'm just curious.
2: I'm trying. I'm running through them in my head. <laughs> well, I've. <laughs> Yeah, I realized a little while ago that a lot of the men I've dated were accused of being gay or queer when that's not how they identify with. And I think it maybe speaks to traits that are maybe considered effeminate and then in a middle school environment, therefore gay, um, are things that I really gravitate towards in partners. Um, Like what? I think I really appreciate men who kind of, I don't know, I think it's like a tolerance for nuance and ambiguity. That Mm -hmm. I think sometimes is not always allowed or not always like nurtured within men. This is obviously, you know, not uh, speaking from experience in any capacity. So if you guys have different experiences, please let me know. But I think um, I really appreciate um, like a a very high level of the kind of like thoughtfulness. And Mm -hmm. I think within thoughtfulness uh, and nuance, it's kind of counter to having to be protective and having to be strong Mm -hmm. and having to have a take right away and having to be assertive in opinions. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I really respond to people who are able to, who have the confidence to kind of um, detach from that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I was saying before you, Justin, showed up, we were talking about dating a little bit and you were talking about, you know, the different types of guys. And and, Mm -hmm. and correct me if I'm wrong, but like you were talking about if you're on a date with someone who you might see as they project an insecurity. Mm -hmm. Where And I was curious what you had to think about that. where What uh, were well, you just tell him.
1: Oh, no. Yeah. I think we were talking about, because we were talking about men being vulnerable. And then also, like, the example we were talking about of someone that we've both encountered. Where it was just, like, he clearly had a lot of insecurities, but he was leading with that. And we were kind of trying to coach him about dating or whatever. And I was like, especially, like, and I wasn't in any way trying to shut him down. But I was like, if the first thing you say when you're on a first date with someone is, Oh, I just like, I'm so stupid. And like, I look terrible and and I hate this about myself or whatever. I'm like, that's, that's not vulnerability. Not, yeah. It's that's not, not going to like invite me you in. And I'm like, I can be someone's cheerleader. Like, absolutely. <laughs> the first like relationship I was in was awful because I was so put on the back burner because everything was about him. And it was like late night calls after he got out of a treatment center and whatever. Like I can be your cheerleader. But if that's the first date and the first encounter I have for you is feeling like I have to do that for you, especially because of my you know, experiences, like it puts a little flag up there because I'm like, yeah, I was destroyed because I was constantly just like trying to keep a different person alive. And I was no, like, I can't a, do that again. And and that's I'm, a lot. For yeah.
0: you, are, do you see that a lot with the men you're dating? Do you, do you see it's like either this kind of bravado, confident kind of, um, you know, whether it's a projection mm-hmm. or, or they're actually confident or, you know, yeah. men who... Who seem insecure, but instead of you know, as Justin's saying, like maybe open to talking about vulnerabilities, are just dumping all their insecurities out, and and yeah. thinking. Are, and do you think the guys that are doing that? Do you think it's them thinking they're being vulnerable, or do you think it's just them? I think sometimes venting their frustrations. Yeah, it,
1: it feels at least more venting, or like they don't they that's what they're thinking so and they don't really know a way of avoiding that and that's just on top of mine and spews out but yeah i've definitely gone on dates too where it's like far too much and it's like the yeah. quote-unquote gym bro like stereotype and that's another way for me to run away because i feel like growing up like my dad and i have a great relationship i'm like daddy's girl and he's so like quiet and there's just a quiet confidence and he's not like this bravado dude And I think I really like that. So if someone shows up and they're rude to the waiter or they're throwing their weight around or talking about money, I'm like, absolutely not. (laughs) But the reason why like the guy I dated over the summer and I was so into him is because that was a different like, here's the, you know, here's the terrible thing that happened to me. But it really made me learn a lot about therapy and journaling. And I've done all these X, Y, and Z. And I was like, oh, here's someone who's working on himself. I don't have to do that for him. We can meet each other in the middle and make each other better. But it's not like either or. It's not Mm. one of us constantly prioritizing the other person, vice versa. And
2: like mutual emotional
1: labor. Like we're both working on ourselves, but we can now do that together.
0: Yeah. Mm. You know, I have this show. We predominantly have an audience of women. We we call them our 10 percenters, which is, and the men I've met who watch, who listen to the show, the sweetest, most wonderful men. But I want to, I constantly try to think of ways. I'm always thinking, how can I connect with more men? You know who have an interest talking about feelings and empathy and dating and relationships and boundaries and expectations and and out, to be honest it's something i do struggle with in terms of you know f- trying to attract more men to to give a shit about this type of content and i'm curious if you you know if you've had any thoughts on, on that
5: i that was the, that's that's amazing i mean if you have 10 percent of your listeners who are men like i just i don't when i, when I meet one man on the street who comes up to me and he says something really sweet to me or, or one listener or anything, I realize like, wow, how many, how many people does that man interact with on a daily basis? So it's like this idea of like wanting more followers or wanting more men to follow us, like at the same time, that, those 10% who are listening to you and who are, gaining, who are like gaining something that they can take with them into all of their relationships, whether it be with men or with women or whoever they're with, like that's the butterfly effect of, um, that you can't quantify and I think that's how you change the world. So for me, I'm, I'm generally focused on like one man at a time. Like if I have a man in my personal life who, who, who is willing to call me and open up and, and who, we can, who we, like we can dig in and work on stuff with, like that is so fulfilling to me because for, my, for, for so long I, I, I didn't have that. There was, no sa- there was no safe spaces for men to do that. Mm-hmm. At least when I was growing up, there wasn't. Um, and I'm talking about like real vulnerability. I'm talking about, not talking about like oh I'm I'm stupid or I'm this and that's not vulnerability. That's like that's, that's insecurity and, and and masochism in a way. Like this is us. Like he's telling you what how he feels about himself, and probably in some ways trying to like have this not go well. But we have to like it's also whiny. Like there's a difference between vulnerability and whining. <laughs> yeah. Like like vulnerability is when you share something um, in a safe place, and you have something to lose by sharing it. it was one of the reasons why I struggled with my dad, you know, and, and, and we've been, I had him on my show and we actually had this beautiful moment and we've been doing a lot of work together and, but growing up he was emotional, but he wasn't vulnerable. He never taught me like growing up, like, oh, like this is something that I, that I'm struggling with. I never saw the things that my dad was struggling with or or that he wasn't good at, or that he was insecure about it because he like my grandfather and like so many of us, man, we put on this front where everything's okay and we have to be the providers. And if there's weakness, then everything's going to fall apart. And now as he's getting older, he's showing a lot more of that. Um, and then right before I got married or right after I got married, he told me the best piece of advice I'd ever gotten on love, which is that I have to choose it. And there were times he showed he told me that he thought about leaving my mom and, the, and they've been married. They're married 40 years this year. And, and that they were, didn't know if they were gonna work out, but they, every day they chose each other. He chose her.
0: Love that, he yeah. and,
5: and I was like, oh, well, where was this when I was 15, Dad? I'm like, I'm getting it now at 30, but where was this when I was 15? And I can't, and it wasn't his fault. He didn't, he didn't have the words, he didn't know how to share it. But that's the difference between vulnerability and whining and, and just complaining, you know? And I think we need to teach men how to actually be vulnerable, which is you tell me something that is not easy to share. Because we're vulnerable with one or two or three, most men, like nobody, but like maybe one person. The majority of men who are in relationships with women are only vulnerable with those women. You have kids, yeah? I have two kids. Two kids, boy, girl, girl. Five, five five-year-old boy, seven-year-old girl.
0: And you're a five-year-old boy, so, well, he's five, but he's getting to that point where you're going to maybe start having these conversations with him.
5: Well, we've already started. Okay. At three and a half, he came home and said that uh, he had a friend of his that never cried and made fun of him for crying.
0: And what did you say? I mean, yeah, my question, like how are you planning on teaching a, your son about masculinity?
5: One of the things we're doing is, um, I, I, look, it's a big, it's a great experiment, right? So I know the world is going to tell my daughter that she has to be a certain way, that she's got to not take up space and be polite and pretty and put together and all of the various things that society tends to just, in general, say that women should be, that the feminine should be um and this we're gonna do the same thing to him as boys he shouldn't cry um he should be strong and he should be tough and he should be you know he should be, he should be focused and all of the various things so what we're doing every every day and every night is um is kind of like <laughs> in ingraining in them the opposite so like with my daughter i want her to take up space i want her to be to be loud i want her to know that uh that she can take physical risk as an example Um, just as much as the boys can. I want her to have that full experience because when she goes to school, she's going to be um, channeled. Her energy is going to be channeled into a certain direction. And at home, I want her to know that this is a safe place and this is who we see you as. And this is amazing. And you are enough just as you are. And my son, it's a little bit of the opposite. He naturally um, is that. And I want him to know that like I said, the hardest he, he naturally is. He naturally acts like uh, the way you would generally see a young five-year-old boy act, which is he's a okay, okay. tornado. He's a testosterone tornado. And there are a lot of young boys who are not that way, but my son is very, and I was the same way. So we're really focusing on the um, emotional parts, reminding him about emotional bravery and uh, compassion and empathy and sensitivity and that these are strengths that are just as, if not more important than the physical strengths, you know, because when these young boys say, well, I don't cry or, and they make him feel bad for it. And they start to, you know, he has long hair like me. And, um, someone said he looked like a girl once. And I was like, well, that's a compliment. Girls are awesome. How awesome is your sister? The girls can do so many cool things. The girls get to have babies. Men could never do that. We're not, like, and you have to remind them like, oh, being a girl is actually an amazing thing. That's how you teach equality at a young age versus like this competition between the sexes. Like if you're not, if you're a boy and you're called a girl, like that's the worst thing in the world. That's what I felt. Mm-hmm. But what if that doesn't have to be that way? What if you have a respect and reverence for girls at a young age? I don't know what's going to happen. So we're, we're really focusing on empathy and compassion and sensitivity and letting him know that those things are important. And then when he watches me work out, Right So I'm training for something right now, I'm working out, but I explained to him that the, I'm able to do that because I work on my heart first. right? It's one thing to have muscles. so it's another thing to have emotional strength. Sure. And so I work on my heart and I get my heart strong, and then I go work on my body and I get my body strong, because one without the other, like, it's great. Yeah, you can have all the muscles in the world and you can move stuff, but if you don't know who you are and you're not in touch with yourself, then what's the point? It's yeah. just a it's another shell it's another layer that we have to try to get through
0: uh before we get to our call and texting office hours because i know they're they're ready i'm curious what are talking about like emotions and vulnerability what uh on a, what what makes you cry the most or is it a certain kind of movie is it certain conversations what gets you really emotion what makes you open up What what gets the tears going um it surprises me on a day-to-day basis especially you know we do so i do so
5: much work and we've done so much work with therapy and i do a lot of somatic therapy and um
0: what's somatic therapy somatic
5: therapy is getting into your body so that you actually can feel i believe that your body holds all of your feelings and emotions especially in us men when we haven't been able to to express them over the course of our lives i mean they found of course we know that there are stress hormones that are released when we cry as children. So the more that we are teaching ourselves to not cry, the more that stress lives in our body. So like the body keeps the score, what happened to you, this uh, um, uh, Gabor Mate's new book. Uh, There's just incredible, incredible work being done out there in this field. So I think that everybody should really get into that. But um, over the course of the last couple of years, it surprises me. I think a lot of the things that make me cry right now have to do with my children, for some reason, like I like I'm I make movies that make people cry because I love to cry. So uh, romance makes me cry when people uh, underdog stories make me cry when people overcome tremendous adversity. Mm-hmm. I cry, I cry. Uh, I spent ten years making documentaries about individuals who are living with terminal illnesses and choosing life and love in the face of their adversity. So um, you know uh, the, the those situations. <laughs> That for sure made me cry and i have a few friends that were still struggling with that um and also happy moments like being proud of my children and like watching them do something that was surprising to me can get me to tear up
0: happy and, moments make me cry way more than the sad moments good yeah that's good like commercial like those a commercial yeah. that makes you happy or like a happy moment in a movie or a tv show like yeah. Yeah. Those, there's still always, those, some, those get me all like, like sad moments on TV, not as much, but I'm a sucker for, for happy a happy moments. moment on, on, on TV. Happy shows moments. And, and
5: then also like, you know, you'll find if you ever have kids, like, you know, you'll take your kid to kindergarten for the first day and you're like, wait, my kid's in kindergarten. And you just start sobbing. Like sure. when they walk away, you know, I cry thinking about the fact that my daughter's going to go to college one day and I'm going to have to like, she's going to be leaving my
0: house and, yeah. you know, all kinds of stuff. I cry all the time. Uh, what's, uh, an insecurity you've worked through? I know you talked about in your book about, you know, you know, as an actor and, and taking your shirt off and of being the shirtless guy, but other than that, what's an insecurity that you've had to work through, or maybe you're still working on it, but was something you've had to work to try to overcome and maybe you've made some progress, but something that, mm. you know, that's, it bothered you about yourself. Like for me in an adult, I'm, I'm dyslexic. And I, I have a, I also have like a strong personality where I often don't feel like I can be aloof and I can be in my thoughts. And sometimes I, I come across a certain way. That's something I've had to struggle with and work on.
5: So you're insecure about coming off a certain way. Uh,
0: yeah. And I, you know, and that's so for me. Like I've had to, you know, back to like loving myself and accepting myself. And, 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 and there's a challenge, something I try to work on and be mindful of. I don't even have an answer because it's like, You know there's well you know it's it's learning that i'm dyslexic and i didn't learn that until like adulthood you know or struggling to read publicly Hmm. um or being conceived you know being perceived as aloof or like i might come across as an ass or a jerk because i'm just kind of like sitting there at a party i'm a bit introverted as well so you combine all that i go to a party and i'm just sitting there minding my own business thinking about whatever not like paying attention to someone who's trying to talk to me and i like, fuck, I did it again. Mm. And there's this thought I, I struggle with where, and I, to myself, it's like, well, do I want, you know, where do, you, where do I draw the line between, well, this is who I am. I've accepted, I've, I've, I've found answers to explain my, my, why I do what I do. Because mm. when I was younger, I was like, I don't know why I fucking do this. Versus, well, I do want, I don't want to come across this way. And I don't want to make people feel inferior or that I'm not seeing them or I'm not recognizing them. So I do have to work on that Mm -hmm. and, 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 and working on that and on my weaknesses, because I also don't want me people to perceive me a certain way that I don't feel that I am. Is there something like that you, you work on? First of of all, I just want to, I want to say
5: thank you for sharing that.
0: How's it going?
4: Hey there. My name is Carly. I'm 25 years old. How can we help Carly? And I need some help because I have a friendship. I know that it needs to end, but I can't decide if I should just peacefully go or if I really need to vent it all out and lay it on her,
0: honestly. Okay. Well, first of all, my first question is like, how long has this, like, how long has this friendship lasted? Like, how old is this friendship?
4: The friendship i met her in 2018 so it's about four years old but we stopped working together about two years ago and it's definitely faded since then so we already don't see each other very often maybe like once or twice a year
0: okay feel free to ask any questions oh i'm <laughs> just I'm, yeah. I'm just gathering um, i'm just collecting data right now uh, that's Gathering. Uh, and so i guess the big question that's big question is what why do you want to end this friendship? Because essentially you're kind of asking, can you ghost this friendship, right?
4: Kind kind of, yeah. because, yeah. Because, I mean, I could easily just be fake and keep being nice. And if we run into each other at group things, you know, play it cool. And she never has to know that she's like kind of dead to me. Or I could tell her why. I say kind of dead to me. Let me just tell you the story, okay. okay? I'll have to give a little background because it involves an ex. So... The ex that is in question, I met him at a job when I was in college. So that was like five or six years ago at that time. And we were just friends for a really long time. And then in 2020, he got laid off from his job because of COVID So I got him a job where I worked, which was like kind of like a country club type place. I got him like a serving job there. So we were friends when he got the job, but it was pretty quick into it that it was like, okay, there's tension here. We're clearly going to date, like there's something going on between us. So I was in a management position, so I ended up leaving that job, not just for him. I also got into like a career from my degree. But, all, but a big part of it was that I didn't want to compromise everything at work, so I right. left. So I left him working there with this friend, and they became somewhat friends as well. And then she actually started dating his best friend. So we were good friends, and they were best friends, and we were dating each other. Um, and then she actually ended up being roommates with them as like a third person in their house for a while. So she got pretty close to my boyfriend as well as me.
0: So she, her, your boyfriend and her her boyfriend were roommates and she moved in with them.
4: Correct. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, okay. So basically, well, the weird part is me and my boyfriend broke up early June and it was for a lot of reasons mostly maturity level but a lot of it was that i knew i wanted to move out of our hometown and he had told me he did too and then he came back and was like i actually want to be here like until my parents die and i was like well that's like a really long time away so i'm actually good on that like but there was a lot of reasons that we broke up but uh, i would say like in the months leading up to our breakup he was clearly checked out he he didn't do anything for my birthday he didn't do anything for valentine's day He, when we moved in together, we were living together. He started playing video games like six hours a night. And before that, he had never played a video game in the entire two years we were dating, you know? So it was just like a a big shock when we lived together. So we broke up. Turned out that her and her boyfriend, who is his best friend, broke up on the exact same day, which was odd. Okay. So, and we hadn't communicated to each other at all. Did he
0: initiate the breakup or did you initiate
4: the breakup? I initiated the breakup, but. To my surprise at the time, he was like, I agree, let's break up. Like he was a hundred percent on board when I brought it up immediately. And you were like, and oh. and I was like, Okay, I really was not expecting that, honestly, because like it was gonna be a pain for us. Like we bought all of the stuff together. He was the one that was so excited to move in and the one that pushed me really hard to move in with him. So when we broke up only three months into our lease, like I expected a fight, honestly, and he didn't give me one at all. Like he was just like, you're right. And, oh, and I should mention like one of the, the things that was like a breaking point for me in the last week, I asked him to listen to a podcast on um like attachment styles because I felt like that was kind of our disconnect sure. and he refused to do it. He was like, I, I don't have time to listen to it. And I was like, it's 30 minutes, like please. And he wouldn't do it. I asked him to take his attachment style quiz. He did that for me and um, he was avoidant and I was anxious. And so I was like, I know there's a lot of issues that come with this. Like, please work on this with me. And he just wasn't interested at all. Mm. So we ended it. So since we're living together and we both loved our apartment, I was like, you know, you're 10 minutes from work. You have now a, a person who could move in with you. Your best friend just got dumped as well. So I'll move out. I'll find another place. So I did I found another place I moved out it took me maybe like three weeks to move out right so after Two days after I move out and by the way in the month after we broke up since we felt like we still had a lot of love for each other We were still kind of like playing boyfriend girlfriend like still hooking up a little bit And so it was really confusing because I did still love him. I just knew it wasn't right so it hurt it hurt a lot and um, and now i'm in a new place by myself like an hour from all my friends And so two days into living there, they all came to visit me. They all hung out. And then when they left, um, I was checking their locations to make sure they got home okay. And I still had my ex-boyfriend on there. Um, And I see he's at an address that he and I had never been to together. And it's like 2 a.m. at this time. And I'm like, that is so weird. Like, why is he at that address? So I'm already like, my interest is peaked. And the address sounds really familiar, but I don't know why. So I think back and I remember the day that me and my ex broke up, I went over to this friend's house and we hung out because we were both freshly broken up. We were sad. We were crying. And one of her friends from work visited her and brought her like some candy to be like, sorry for the breakup. And she was so weird with me. Like she wouldn't make eye contact with me. She like had big eyes. Like she looked scared of me. And I was like, what's this girl's deal? Like, why is she being so weird? Come to find out it's her address, right? So he started sleeping with this girl who I had met two days after I moved out. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. We were together for two years. I'm alone in my house an hour from my friends and I'm freaking out. And I'm like, you know, and so I I make sure it's her address. I confirm it and I wait. He sleeps there every night for like four or five days in a row. And I'm like, this is in." Oh, 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 I was like, once (laughs) I realized I was like, oh, I'm I was in like location reminders, like I'm checking it, you know? So I see he sleeps there like four or five nights. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. And I'm getting texts from like mutual friends being like, he's taking this so hard. Like, you have no idea how much you meant to him. And I'm like, um, actually, that's not true. So I send this is where I get a little crazy toxic and it gets worse. I send a group text out to everyone we had a group message with like all of our friends from work in it and from when i worked there and all it was maybe like 20 people and i sent a text to everybody that said hey just so you guys know i moved out less than a week ago and already fucking some other girl from the i shouldn't have said that from his work um so we'll, we'll when i that do out. that yeah. and i and i also since i had his location i waited until he was at work to send it so that he would have to deal with the fallout immediately, right? Okay. I didn't say any names in my text, right? So <laughs> because I didn't oh, so say any names, you made it like a murder my text, mystery
0: game for everyone. Right. You created more but, drama at work.
4: But <laughs> it turned out that was well, I didn't want to call her out cuz I didn't know her. Turns out because I didn't call out a name, a second girl who he was also already sleeping with and had been texting during our relationship was like oh my god how did she find out and starts like crying at work and going up to like how did she find out a second girl who I didn't even know about so now there's two girls that he's sleeping with within a week of me moving out and I find out like he was already talking to them before we broke up and then I find out this friend who the reason I'm calling is for knew about it all along and I even explicitly asked her like is he seeing someone else already that's insane and she was like no. Definitely not. He would not do that to you. Like, no way. But she knew fully the whole situation. And then since then, she's just been a horrible friend about it. Like, she's hung out with him multiple times. And then she'll call me to tell me about how different he is. And it's just like, you know how heartbroken I am. Like, why are you still telling me about this? And also, why are you still bringing friends with him? Why are you still defending him? This was all his decision, you know?
0: So is she when you you keep referring to her as a friend? Like, yeah, it's a relationship. And so you haven't confronted her about this at all.
4: I did confront her about lying directly. I said, like, I, I, I can't understand how you could lie to me. And she she just like she was like, You need to put yourself in my shoes. I'm having to take care of three friendships here. I can't just think about you, I have to think about them too. And I'm like, Yeah, but we go way back, first of all, and I'm the one being screwed over in this situation. So I mean I didn't, she didn't really take any ownership. She was just like, you know, see it from my side.
0: Did you confront her about the fact that she was sleeping with him?
4: No. Okay. So my friend isn't the one sleeping with him. Girl.
0: Oh, it's a different. She, yeah, yeah. she, oh.
4: she knew about the other There's two lot girls. Oh, okay. She, knew, she just and, knew about and, them. And cho- okay. And chose not to tell me when I asked her. Gotcha. Yeah. And so and then, your, your yeah.
0: biggest frustration with this friend is that you feel like she should have been more loyal to you than the other people. She was claims that she was balancing.
4: You know, those exactly. And she's lied to me before that situation a few times. And in, so it, it was kind of like a last straw thing of like, you're clearly not going to prioritize me. She's also canceled like our last four plans that we've had last minute when I texted her to be like, Hey, I'm not coming. So it just feels like in a lot of ways, she's just not, the real
3: friend?
4: Sure. And and I'm fine with having outer layer friends, but I thought she was an inner layer friend. Yeah. And I I don't I don't know. I just I know that I don't want I don't want to trust her anymore.
0: Sure. So what what do I think you should do? I'm curious what Justin thinks, but I I I just believe in like good healthy communication and good habits. And well, I know it made for a good story. I don't think you handling it the way you did by sending out that kind of cryptic yeah. texts and outing people and created more drama. And I'm sure he caused a yeah. lot of pain and sadness with those people involved. I, I, I would, I would encourage you like, you know, ghosting in general, I don't think is very healthy. And like, whether you agree with this friend or not about what she did and how she handled it, you know, like if she considers you a friend and you just disappear on her, that's going to leave her with questions and, and, and feel like, well, what, what did I do? And you guys are not on the same page. So I just feel like, yeah, well, it might be a tough conversation. At least really expressing yourself of why you're pulling away and why you're setting a boundary with her would, I think you would feel better in the long run about that. And it would still give her an opportunity to maybe like reassess. You know, she might she might pull back and disagree with you at first, but over time, you know, she could come back in a couple months and say, hey, you know, I've really reflected and thought about the situation. I really don't like how I handle it. And can I have your forgiveness? We, we, I don't really know. But that's much more productive and really opens the door for an opportunity for something good to happen rather than you just disappearing on her and ghosting her and leaving with questions because she clearly doesn't see the situation as you do. You know, and I, I get where you're coming from, but she does, you know, her point of view is, is her point of view. And it might not, she might see things differently and she might have reasons why, you know, like when I feel wronged, yes, I loyalty matters to me and we have very different perceptions of loyalty as people, you know, and Mm -hmm. certainly when I feel wronged, I want my friends to have my back. But when, when other friends are involved, I have been very much disappointed and frustrated at how my friends prioritize my feelings versus others. But does that mean I was right over them? I'm not so sure. It just meant, you know, that, that was my expectation that they didn't meet. And I just feel like just communicating your expectations, how they can meet in the future will better serve you in the long run. Whether you become stay friends with her or not, I think you'll just feel good about uh, handling it in a more, you know, open communication way, so to speak. I don't know.
3: Yeah. Any I other can thoughts? See
0: that. Justin?
5: I feel like I just watched this on Netflix. This was a fantastic story. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I think Nick's advice is great. I, I would encourage you to look at yourself and how you've handled it and what your feelings are around it and before you go and burn any, uh, any other houses down. Sometimes, uh, yeah. sometimes when we're not sober uh, emotionally, we can make decisions that uh, don't just hurt other people but hurt us in the long run. And it doesn't quite sound like it's an emotionally sober environment for anybody. And I would just also argue that you broke up with him. So... You can choose to suffer. True, but uh, it seems like you wanted this to end, and now it's time for you to, you know, when you break up with someone, you have to let them go. You release them. Yeah, so you don't monitor their locations.
0: Justin makes a yes. really great point about that too, and I understand. Like a lot, we do that, right? When we break up with someone, we want it to mean something, and we mm-hmm. some we, we weirdly will monitor their behavior you know, post breakup is a way to validate what we had when the relationship existed, which I understand the logic, but it doesn't also really make that much sense. And to Justin's point, your biggest frustration about this friends or friends is what your ex-boyfriend did after you were dating. You know, I know he, he, you know, you mentioned, he said, oh, well, he might've been talking to these other girls, but, you know, just consider the fact, fact that you are thinking about firing a friend over something your ex boyfriend did not what your boyfriend did and then d- deciding for her what loyalty you thought she owed you for what like he was doing and if she's also friends with him that can get very complicated as a third party friend to try to prioritize loyalty and you know so you know maybe to Justin's point maybe try to empathize with your friend's point of view even if she's not empathizing with you it might change your perspective a little bit
5: be the be the friend you want someone to be to you to yourself first and um and just go enjoy your life don't worry about the past right you broke up with him you want something new the more you think about what happened before the less likely you are you're going to be open to something new that you're actually excited about and hoping for so
0: how do you still have access to his location
4: no and oh, that was all like within yeah. the week following the breakup. I haven't checked or done anything like that. She's since actually then. outside
0: of his
3: apartment right now. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, I'm parked right outside. Um, <laughs> no and it's more that I feel like as a friend I don't I don't want to put any more emotional energy into it like you're saying I do feel like I'm over it. I feel like I'm past it and I feel like pulling up all these wounds, is going to hurt that process. Yeah, but you're not.
0: I think you're kind of, I I get your logic, but if you were really over it, then I don't think you would be considering firing this friend over it. You know, you're just like, I think you just haven't fully processed it and you're afraid to go back there because I'm sure you've made some progress and you're Mm -hmm. afraid of kind of relapsing back to that kind of very vulnerable state of being kind of reactive and stalking him and, and things that you even can recognize were a bit toxic and you don't want to do. But maybe to Justin's point, just maybe give it a little bit more time. You can take a break from your friend. You can just pull back a little bit and, you know, have a little more individual time and reflect and maybe hang out with other friends. And, and maybe there's a better time in the future down the road to say, Hey, you know, That did bother me. You also in a couple of months, might feel very differently where you realize I don't even need to have that conversation because I've done the kind of emotional processing about that relationship and I am kind of generally indifferent about it and I don't really care. And I guess, yeah, you know what? I really was mad about that and we weren't even dating. And so like, what was she supposed to say to me at the time? You know maybe she Mm -hmm. just want to remove herself from drama Mm -hmm. and then maybe you won't want to fire her as a friend anymore
5: i've never had a conversation that went well when i was emotionally heated ever yeah whether in relationships or business it doesn't exist so no matter what you do take a few weeks off or a month off and cool down so you can see and sober up and uh you'll probably you'll you'll find the answer in yourself
2: Something my therapist says a lot is people don't make you feel anything they invite you to feel anything and i say that to in no way invalidate like it is i completely like really can see where you're coming from in terms of like feeling really upset by the situation and really underserved by your friend and how like disappointing and makes you know i would probably be super reactive too um so i say that yeah. in not a uh, like get it under control but in a like in any way that it can be like empowering to you of like kind of trying to integrate that into your thought patterns, because it's something I've been trying to do a lot. And it's helped me, especially when I do feel kind of at the mercy of other people's bad behavior, uh, reminding myself like the ways that I can kind of take back control.
0: Yeah. And also, Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember when I I was cheated on way back when I had a lot of expectations of what my what I thought my friend should do in that situation. I've been there. And I, they were fairly extreme. Looking back, you know, at the time, I felt very justified for how I thought they should handle and how they should, how I thought they should treat her and and things like that. And as time passed, I just really st- stopped caring. And I really was thankful to get to a place where I was indifferent. And you know, in the future, I think once you you will know you're really over it when you really don't care how other people interact with him, uh, because mm-hmm. you'll have you'll have your boundaries set up for what you need is in terms of your relationship with him, whatever that is. Uh, but mm-hmm. if you do feel in the future, to, you know, you still feel like, Hey, can I just talk to you about this? And maybe you just bring it up. It just, I felt this way in the past and you know, uh, I'm hoping that I can, I don't have to feel this way in the future, but I will, I wouldn't be surprised if, if you let things pass. And as Justin says, you know, as things calm that you, if you go back and reevaluate how you feel, it might be very different.
4: I writ, can see that. Writ, and there's definitely write or a, a letter, pride issue
3: Write
0: her a, <laughs> a letter, get it all
5: out and then burn yeah. it.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I like that. There's an
5: energy to it and you never have to, you never have to give her the weight of all of it because also some mm-hmm. people can't hold it and you're also in pain. I think at the end of the day you're hurting and you're really just feeling like nobody's there for you right now. And mm-hmm. the people that do the breaking up also hurt too, right? Heart never breaks even. But, uh, so just make sure you're doing something for you.
0: And you got blindsided a little bit because you, you were surprised by his reaction and you felt duped and the more information you found, it was just like, you know, like,
3: yeah.
0: Yeah. Right. And you wanted other people to feel like that again, back when I was cheated on, I wanted all my friends to feel the, all the same anger that I felt. And if they didn't, Mm -hmm. I felt like they were not being good friends to me. Yeah.
4: Yeah. I can Mm -hmm. definitely feel that.
0: Yeah. I, and I, if if that's similar to what you're going through, I promise you as time passes, you the, the anger will go away.
4: It has. It's definitely faded. <laughs> yeah.
0: Just give it more time. You got this. Yeah. yeah. You're enough.
4: Thanks. I appreciate it. I really do.
0: All right. Well, thank you for the call. Uh, keep us posted what you decide to do. We'd, I'd love in a couple months for you to give us an update <laughs> on how you're feeling about the situation if your per- perspective has changed at all.
4: Okay. Or the I script will. so we I can turn it into will. a movie. Here yeah.
3: There
4: we go. Yeah. I didn't even get into all the drama. It was worse. I can it was imagine. Worse than that. Yeah, oh, I'm I can sure. give you the full story one day. But all right.
0: We can't wait. All right. Nick Thanks, will give you guys. a cell phone after Appreciate this. So you can give, Take care.
4: <laughs> all, right, all right. Bye. Bye-bye.
0: We were talking about insecurities, working on them. Uh, And I again, I talked about yeah. uh, the things I'm working on. i was curious on your end, what is something that you've been insecure about or struggle with or you know, for me this is something like I shared, I'll never master this. This will be yeah. something I'll always master. Uh, it's a, a it's a daily a look in progress. It's a daily struggle, uh yeah. for me. And oftentimes I'll have that kind of response of like, oh fuck, you know, like did it again or I or I'll be worried about like, you know, was I present? You know, did I do it? I'll ask Natalie, my girlfriend, often. You know, um, and she's very helpful with that. But what's something that? You're I, 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 on?
5: Yeah, and I just go back to like acknowledging that that's not an easy thing to say, and also, you know, if we started the conversation by you saying like you had read the book, and there were some things that you weren't quite sure. But I, I would argue that based on what you're sharing, you very much had that experience. So you have a, even in adulthood, like just just the wondering of how you're coming off and. And how you're making somebody else feel is an important thing. Sure. So I just want to just say that that's awesome, and I'm happy that you're working on that. I have so many things. Also, I was thinking if you would have asked me ten years ago, I would have given the exact same answer you gave about childhood. I've been like, ah, oh, I was, yeah, no, I was good. I was good. I, I couldn't even tell admit to my friends that I was struggling with something like you just shared until probably. 10 years ago. But I, 7, for, for me, I
0: asked that question because I wasn't struggling with that as a kid. I didn't even I wasn't aware. I, I wasn't. I but that's the know, thing. I, I wasn't, didn't, I wasn't I didn't aware. I was not know of, I was having this effect. <laughs> I wasn't
5: aware of any of this stuff as a kid. Yeah. None of it. Yeah. I, I, I didn't even know I had anxiety until five years ago until I actually got in touch with my body and I realized, oh, wait, those times when I have to, like, take a full breath, that's my body telling me that I have anxiety. Like... Oh, wow, wow, why, why am I having a hard time breathing? And then I just push through it because that's what men are taught to do our whole lives. No, I had anxiety for probably 20 years and I had no freaking clue. So I had no clue that I was dealing with any of the insecurities or any of the things that I was dealing with when I was in it. It wasn't until in hindsight, I looked back and, and uh, saw the, the path of destruction I caused, not just for myself, but for others and how unhappy I was that I realized, oh, there's some things that I have to work on. And then the deeper that I got, down to answer your question, the more in tune with all of the things in the daily basis that I'm working on. So I'll give you one as an example. You mentioned lightly the, the shirtless stuff. You know, I've had, I've had a really tough relationship with my body for as long as I can remember. I've always wanted my body to do more than it could in any given moment. This idea that like, oh, if I just worked harder or if I just, you know, did this or did this. Uh, oh, I, I want to look like that guy. I've always had a very antagonistic relationship with my body and it never came from this place of like being content. So I'd look in the mirror, I'd see what was wrong. I'd see what 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 wasn't, you know, which muscles weren't big enough. I'd want my abs to show more. I, I didn't like how I looked in certain clothes or certain shirts. That, part of that was starting puberty late, you know, and not getting muscles or getting made fun of for not having abs or or whatever it was. And then that carries through and we don't realize it as as mid thirties, forty year old men, like we have the same insecurities we had. We just didn't know we had them. So for me, one of the things that I am doing now is I wake up in the morning and before I pull out my phone, before I check my email, before I do any of that, I have a journal next to my bed. Sometimes I'll go into another room. I do like this red light. That's called, uh, called the juve. It's just this red light thing. And I'll go and I meditate. I might do like this little morning movement, breath work stuff. And I write down positive affirmations. And I'll write down things that I like about my body. And at first it was so hard for me to pick something that I liked, or to even, as a man, write down, like, I have a great ass <laughs> or whatever it that is. That was a challenge? It was, yeah, it's absolutely a challenge. I think that for, for me, uh, you know, I, for me at least, um, it was hard for me to write down without anybody around the things that I liked about my body. And so, in doing that, I started to look in the mirror and then find something about myself and smile at it instead of find something that was wrong or, oh, I, oh, I'm aging or this or this or whatever. And all the things that we do when we compare ourselves to the highlight reels of other people's lives every single day. And that's really, really changed the energy that I have around my body. And I've been doing it for a while now. And I can tell on the days that I miss it because um, I'll let some of those, some of those thoughts will come back in and I'll compare myself to somebody else or to what to the way that I used to look or, or I'll just, in general, have a negative outlook of how I look or feel when I look in the mirror. But for the most part, it's like really focusing on looking at myself now, being grateful, smiling. Like that was not something I ever did. I never smiled at myself in the mirror. And so now in the morning when I'm brushing my teeth, and I'll just find something positive about myself and move on. That's just one example. I have a whole list of things that I'm constantly thinking about and working on. And just like yourself, want to make sure that I'm not making people feel a certain way. when I, uh, when I'm with them or things like that. But yeah, this is, this is life. This is, this is the human condition. We're all at the end of the day, uh, works and progress as we will never arrive. That's not the purpose of this life. But I think as long as we're doing the work individually, then hopefully we're making ourselves uh, fertile ground to bringing this back to what this show seems to be about is to have a, a meaningful relationship and invite somebody else in that is also doing that same work.
3: Nice.
0: Well, that's a great, great place to end it. Can't thank you enough, Justin, for taking the time to for come in me. and speak with I us. It. Uh, can you let my audience know? Obviously, you have your book coming out. You have Man Enough, uh, and all the things that you're doing. Feel free to share with my audience. And let them know where they can find more of it. You can,
5: uh, I, yeah, I guess, social media, right? Uh, Justin Baldoni is my name, and that's where uh, that's where my my stuff is, right. I guess. Great. <laughs> I have a podcast, manenough.com slash podcast.
0: All right. Well, uh, and then when is when is Boys Will Be Human come out?
5: It, it came out a few months oh, ago. It came out a yeah, months we ago. did three oh, weeks uh, on the New York Times bestseller All list. Right. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's been out, and it's yeah, it's really sweet.
0: Great. We'll check it out, and uh, congratulations Thank on you. everything, and uh, thanks for coming on.
5: Appreciate it. Thanks
0: for uh, thanks me. Thanks for listening, guys. Don't forget to send in those questions at asknick at the dot uh, don't forget, uh, next week, we have Liz Schwartz. That's it, right? Lisa, Lisa Schwartz. Liz, Lisa. Uh, we have Lisa Schwartz. Oh,
3: we're going to do it again. Uh,
0: Lisa Schwartz. <laughs> I have my, my Schwartz. S- Schwartz. I'm so bad with my C- S C H S. hs there's, there's another insecurity. My mumble. <laughs> Schwartz. 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 Schwartz.
3: Schwartz. Okay.
0: All right. Bye.